So, good morning. My name is Jen Utek, for anybody who doesn't know me. And I um, am one of the leaders of the Springdale Road House Group, among, among some other things. So, we've mentioned in recent weeks about the upcoming Divorce and Beyond, um, the one-day seminar that's going to be on March 3rd at the Sharonville Convention Center. And then there's also a, a class after that, Divorce Care class, that's going to be here at Vineyard Northwest. And that starts on March 13th. And my husband, Mike, and I are leading that class. And so I encourage you to uh, grab a, um, I think it's in your program, uh, give it to, your, to a friend or for yourself. Everybody's welcome. Okay. Um, so if this is your first time here, welcome. We're very honored that you're here, that you came to worship with us. And we have a small gift for you out at the Welcome Center. It's a, a vineyard worship CD, kind of like the music you just heard here. And if you would, there is a connect card in the seat back pocket in front of you. You can fill that out and drop it in the offering or take it to the Welcome Center when you go to get your gift. We'd love to connect with you. Um, and you can, um, speaking of the offering, we will be receiving the offering later in the service. So if you're writing a check, make that to Vineyard Northwest. There are envelopes in the seat back pocket in front of you as well. And, um, or you can give online or through the mobile app. Okay. And I have a couple of really cool announcements. Um, the first one is that tonight our school of kingdom ministry is holding a night of healing prayer rooms and it's open to anyone that has any physical or emotional healing needs. So you're welcome to come bring your friends. Um, we've seen God heal people on the spot and we know that healing is going to happen tonight as well. So um, registration happens as you get here. So it's between 7 and 7.30 for the um, registration. So um, that's open to anybody. Bring your friends. And next Sunday, we're very excited. We're going to have our very own Mary and Chris Weinberg with us as part of the service. Um, Mary is a gold medalist from the 2008 Beijing Olympics. And Wilson will be interviewing them as we wrap up the uh, series Undaunted. So you'll want to be here for that. And moms of young kids, we know you're busy. And we know your life is, can be a little crazy. So we have a morning set aside just for you. Um, you'll hear from two educators who are also moms that will provide a place for encouragement, reflection, and some tools for you to use while meeting other moms with young children. And you can invite a friend for that as well. There's child care available. $4 per child, uh, $10 max per family. And you can register online or at the table that's outside the nursery area over there. Lastly, the program, um, including the digital one that's on the app, has a lot of other information about all the stuff that I just mentioned and all the other things that are happening at Vineyard Northwest um, with the kids, the teens, the young adults, family group, and lots and lots more. So now I'd like to invite up one of our pastors, Luke Hazelmeyer. So let's welcome Wake. Welcome, Luke. Hey, Jen. <laughs> Last service, Jen called me Luke Hazel Miser, and I kind of like that, so I might take that on. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. I'm Luke. Really happy to be with you this morning. We're finishing up our series on Undaunted, and today we're talking about being undaunted in the face of shame. So we're going to be talking about the concepts of shame and guilt, and human beings experience shame and guilt, but did you also know that dogs experience shame and guilt? 
Didn't know that until I got a golden retriever puppy when I was 12. Parents brought Sandy home. I got to train her up, taught her how to roll over and taught her how to um, shake and lay down and sit. And I taught her how to speak. And I was pretty proud of this because it just kind of came to me. I just yelled speak at her for 20 minutes straight until she barked. And then I gave her a treat. And then I did it again. It took about 10 more minutes and she barked, gave her a treat, five minutes. So about 45 minutes later, whenever I would say speak, she would bark. And then for the rest of her life, we could get her to speak on command. So that one's for free. You know, you didn't know you were going to learn how to train a dog at church this morning. But uh, the one flaw in Sandy, well, no, she was perfect. She didn't have any flaws. The one unfortunate thing that would happen with her is that she would like to run out of our yard through the electric fence, take the shock, and go straight to the neighbor's muddy pond and swim in it and then roll in mud and come back. And every time that she got back, she realized what she had done. And what did we see? A look of guilt on her face. In case you don't believe me, let's throw that picture up there. So... (laughs) Something happened in the kitchen, and I love you so much. There's a guilty dog. This next one's fun. Which do you think is guiltier? (laughs) Yeah. One on the right, guilty slash terrified is what I see. So we're going to be talking about guilt and shame. Let's dive into the scriptures, the very first place that human beings experience shame. If you want to read along, go to Genesis 3. I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 10. We're going to read about how, what happened when the enemy of God called Satan deceived the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, into sinning, disobeying God. So starting in verse 6, it's not going to be up on the screen. So if you have a Bible, feel free to uh, grab that or just listen. But yeah, starting Genesis 3, verses 6 through 10. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. <clears throat> then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. So Adam and Eve experienced shame here. And it's interesting because usually we experience guilt first and then shame. But they actually experience shame first and guilt later. While I'm throwing those two terms out there, let's define them real quick. Guilt and shame are very different. Guilt is, I did something wrong. Guilt is the experience you have when you make a mistake and you have the mental realization, that was not the right thing to do. I should have done something differently. And then you experience guilt. Guilt is focused on your actions. It's focused on the things that you've done. Shame is different. Shame is I am something wrong. Or another way put, there is something wrong with me. 
It's not about your actions anymore. It's about who you are. It's the core. It's your identity that's affected by shame. And oftentimes guilt that isn't dealt with well can morph into shame. And so you can actually experience guilt without experiencing shame. And you can experience shame without experiencing guilt. So guilt without shame I experience guilt when I say something harsh to somebody that I didn't mean to say, when I act out in emotion, when I act out in anger, I realize, okay, that was not the right thing to do. God, I agree with you that that was not the way that I should have handled that situation. And um, I experience guilt and then I move on. So you can experience guilt without ever experiencing shame. In those moments, I'm not thinking, oh my gosh, I'm just such an angry, horrible person. I'm not thinking there's something wrong with me. I'm just experiencing guilt. You can also experience shame without experiencing guilt. Example, a close friend of mine got married in 2015 and my brother happened, uh, or he, and my, this friend asked me, hey, can you be a groomsman at my wedding? I'm like, yes, I would love to be a groomsman in your wedding. And I was really pumped for it. He was really pumped for it. Then I get a call from my brother and he's like, hey, I'm getting married um, this year. And he tells me the date and it's the exact same date as my, one of my closest friends wedding. And so I had to choose between being a groomsman in my brother's wedding or being a groomsman in one of my close friends wedding. And so I chose my brother's wedding and I felt like a horrible friend for that. I felt shame about that choice. I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel like I did anything wrong because I mean, that's, I mean, that's just the kind of, that's a decision where it's almost like there's no right answer, but I did feel shame. So you can feel shame without necessarily feeling guilt. And so Adam and Eve, they experienced shame in the garden immediately. And then they would experience guilt later on when God is interacting with them. And so let's look at a couple of ways that we, uh, a couple of things we see about shame from this story. So first, shame causes us to see ourselves differently then God sees us. Shame causes us to see ourselves differently than God sees us. Interesting thing, they felt shame when they realized they were naked. Why? Why did Adam and Eve's nakedness cause them to experience shame? Was it because nakedness is inherently bad? Well, no. God created them naked and he said it was good. So being naked isn't bad, but when Adam and Eve experienced the shame of sin and disobeying God, it caused them to view something about themselves that wasn't actually bad as bad. So shame distorts our self-image. When we experience shame for one thing, we tend to look at every other part of our life through a negative lens because of that shame. So shame causes us to see ourselves differently than God sees us. Second thing I noticed is that when they experienced shame, first thing they did was sew a bunch of fig leaves together to cover themselves. And it's so true that when we experience shame as believers, oftentimes the first thing we're tempted to do is to cover ourselves in some way or another. And what I mean by cover ourselves is use something that can't possibly address the shame to make ourselves feel better. 
Fig leaves could not possibly have addressed the shame that Adam and Eve were experiencing, but it made them feel good in the moment. For us, that can be stuff like substances. People cover their shame with alcohol. People cover their shame with drugs. It can be pornography. It can be codependent relationships. It can be stuff that's not even inherently negative. Like I have before, if I'm being honest with you, I have covered my shame with doing evangelism. I felt shame for some reason. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go out and prove my love. I'm going to prove my devotion to God by going out and sharing the gospel with people. Or it can be something neutral. Like you can cover your shame with friendships or video games. The point is when we feel the temptation to cover our shame, what we're doing is we're going to everything and anything but God to address that feeling that we're having. And so Adam and Eve, they covered their shame and we can be tempted to do the same thing. Next thing we read is that they hid. They hid from God. And so shame tells us to hide. When I'm experiencing shame, the last thing that I want to do is go and be seen and be known by God. And first off, we can hide from God. And I think the reason that we'll hide from God when we're experiencing shame is that we're thinking he's standing up there looking down on us saying, wow, can't believe you screwed that up again. Get your act together before you come back to me. When you figure that thing out, then you can come back to me. And so we believe a lie about God and it causes us to hide from him. But we can also hide from other people. And we feel tempted to hide from other people when we, fear sh- when we feel ashamed. Why? Well, if I f- am experiencing shame, then I'm scared to death of letting you really get to know me. Because if you really knew me, then you would not want nothing to do with me. Because you would see of how much of a failure, how much of a disappointment I am. And so when we experience shame, it can lead us to hide from other people. We can also hide from ourselves. You know what? It is sometimes a lot easier to hate yourself than to deal with yourself. It is a lot easier to be like, I just, I hate myself. I'm an idiot. I am worthless than to actually process the emotions that you are experiencing and the things that are going on in your life. And so we can hide from ourselves when we experience shame. So Adam and Eve, the first thing that they did when God came near was they hid themselves from him. When I was 15, I experienced shame. And the thing that I experienced shame about is probably going to surprise you. You're probably going to think, that's a weird thing to feel ashamed about. And even to this day, sometimes when I think back on it, I feel ashamed for this. But let me tell you the story. I was in a metalcore band growing up with Wilson. He was the screamer. I was the drummer. There's some great YouTube clips if you want to learn more about that part of our lives. So we were in a band and we had this show coming up. It was our second show ever. And so we were all, we were super excited for 
this show. So I ordered this shirt special offline, spent money that I'd saved up, and I was super pumped to wear this t-shirt. And this was back in the day when it was really, really cool. If there's any, it was really cool to wear a long sleeve shirt and then put a t-shirt over top of it. If you're currently wearing that, it's still cool now. But it was really cool back then. And so I had my whole outfit planned out for this show. And I was super excited for it. And my dad knew that I was going to be playing. And he knew how excited I was. So he walks in my room one afternoon. And he's holding this white t-shirt. It was a brand called Element. And it was this white t-shirt with some red and black on it. And I'm like, Why is he, what's he holding that t-shirt for? And he's like, hey, Luke, I was walking through the mall buying some stuff. And I ended up in this store and I found this t-shirt that I thought looked really cool and thought maybe you'd want to wear it for your show on Saturday. And he was super pumped for me to wear this shirt. He thought I was going to love it. And I just totally blew him off. Like, dad, get out of here. I don't want to wear that shirt. He's like, well, it could be like an undershirt. And I'm like, no, I'm good. And so I didn't wear the shirt. So then a couple weeks later, I'm telling Wilson about like, hey, Will, get this. By the way, if you don't know Wilson, he's, one of, he's my best friend and he's one of the pastors here also. I was like, hey, Will, get this. My dad bought me an Element shirt and told me that I should wear it during the show. Can you believe that? And he looks at me, he's just like, wow, I would have worn the shirt if my dad bought it for me. <laughs> 15 years of Wilson keeping my conscience accountable. <clears throat> Describes our relationship. So, but man, after Will said that, I just felt horrible about not wearing the stupid shirt. Like, ah, oh, why didn't I wear the shirt? And literally, like for years afterwards, my dad probably forgets about, I don't, he probably doesn't even remember the shirt, honestly. But oh, I just wish I would have worn that shirt. And, and so I've experienced shame because of that. And you've probably experienced shame at points in your life. Maybe you're experiencing shame now. And what we know for sure is that shame has always been a tactic of the enemy. Perhaps the main tactic of the enemy. But shame has always been a tactic of the enemy since the beginning. And it's something that he puts us in in order to block our connection from God. But the good news is that Jesus came to free us from the power of shame. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this, For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. He never sinned, but he became sin so that we who did sin could become righteous. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And this verse, the language it's, it's using, is language that is primarily referring to our shame. So the Bible talks a lot about how humanity was forgiven for sin. And that is primarily dealing with our guilt. When you forgive someone, you are forgiving them for something bad that they did either to you or that affected you. 
So forgiveness is usually addressing guilt. But this is not talking about the forgiveness of sins. This verse is talking about Jesus becoming sin. And Jesus becoming sin is him referencing and referring and affiliating with and identifying with our shame. You see, we don't experience shame because we sin. We experienced shame because we were sinners. Adam and Eve didn't experience shame because they sinned. They experienced guilt because they sinned. They experienced shame because they became sin. Because they became sinners. You might be thinking, well, how can you differentiate between sinning and being a sinner? Aren't they the same thing? Well, have any of you ever seen American Idol before? Raise your hand. Okay, hands down. So for those of you that have seen it, you ever notice someone who is singing, but definitely not a singer? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah, so in the same way, you can sin and not be a sinner because sinning is an action statement. Sinner is a statement of being. Being a singer, I know this sounds similar. Singer is a statement of being. Singing is simply an action. So Jesus became sin. What does that mean? He never actually sinned. But he became a sinner on our behalf so that we could become righteous. A good analogy that I've heard is imagine that when you were in sin, so before Christ, you had, God forbid, the bubonic plague. So you've got the bubonic plague. And if you know anything about the bubonic plague, and I don't actually know anything, I'm just pretending I do. But if you know anything about the bubonic plague you know that the bacteria literally infects your cells and your cells actually attack your own body. So it is actually your own body or at least an infected version of your own body that is attacking and harming the rest of your body. Sin does the exact same thing. When Adam and Eve um, sinned and they became sinners, sin wasn't just something that happened out here. It literally became a part of who they were. And when sin became a part of who they were, it began wreaking havoc on the rest of who they were. So we didn't just have a sin problem in the sense of we needed to be forgiven for what we were guilty for. We had a sin disease because of the fall. Adam and Eve acquired a sin disease. So when Jesus died on the cross, And he became sin. What that means is that all of that bubonic plague bacteria was sucked out of all of us and was put onto him. So that we were no longer sinners at our core anymore because those infected cells have been removed from our body. And here's the cool thing. Jesus was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. And God is an eternal being. So an eternal being became sin for all of us. What does that mean? That means that sin from the past, present, and future was covered under Christ. So it wasn't just that your sin at salvation, at your salvation, was sucked out of you and put onto Jesus, but every sin you would ever commit from now on does not have the ability to harm you in the way that it harmed Adam and Eve 
Because Jesus' sacrifice as an eternal being spans for all time. Okay. So we no longer are under the power of sin. That is why Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Jesus has freed us from the power of sin for all time. But here's a sad thing. Even though we are freed from the power of sin, we can choose to stay under the power of sin. We can choose not to step into the freedom that Jesus bled and died for. When we stay in shame, that is what we are doing. We're saying, Jesus, what you did wasn't enough to deal with this. Good news is, when we do that, because we all do it, I've done it, God isn't like indignant and he's not up there like, well, I already took care of that, but you're choosing to stay in it, so deal with it. He meets us there, even when we're not totally laying hold of the freedom he's offered us. And he helps us get there. And we see him do that with the Apostle Peter in the very end of the Gospel of John. And I want to read you all that story. So open up your Bibles to John 21. Night before Jesus gets crucified, he's hanging out with the 12 dudes. They're talking, they're eating, they're having a good time. Then Jesus gives them some final words. And one of the final words he gives them is super encouraging. He tells them, hey guys, I'm going to die and you're all going to desert me. All right, let's get on to our dessert. So they're like, what the heck? They're all confused. They're scared. They're concerned. They're not understanding. But then Peter decides he knows the answer to that situation. He blurts out, Jesus, I don't care if every single one of these schmucks disowns you. I'm going to stay with you no matter what. And Jesus looks at Peter and he's like, oh, really, Peter? Well, um, funny thing, I feel like you're probably going to deny me three times before the morning. And Peter's like, oh, no way. So then a little while later, Jesus gets arrested and he gets taken. And as he's getting led out to trial, Peter is following from a distance. And he stops at this fire to warm himself. And as he's warming himself, some people start chattering and they're like, hey, aren't you the guy that was like following him around and walked on water and did some other stuff? I'm paraphrasing in case you didn't know, but aren't you that guy? And he's like, oh, no, no, that, that wasn't me. Another person asks him that, oh, no, it wasn't me. Third person, no, it wasn't me. And right as he denies Jesus, knowing Jesus for the third time, Jesus is being led out to be tortured. They were going to whip him with a leather whip embedded with metal and glass shards. And right as he's being led out to be tortured, Jesus makes eye contact with Peter as he is denying him for the third time. And when Peter sees Jesus' eyes, he becomes totally ashamed and runs off weeping bitterly. He's so ashamed that we read in Mark 16, an interesting verse. The women who found the empty tomb, because Jesus had resurrected from the dead. The women who found the empty tomb were talking to this angel. And this angel told them, hey, um, Jesus is not here. He's risen. And here's what I want you to do. Go tell Jesus' disciples and Peter that he's risen from the dead. Go tell Jesus' disciples and Peter. What does that mean? We can't know for sure, but what it probably means is that Peter had disassociated himself as one of Jesus' disciples. 
he was still around the disciples because they worked together, but he had probably stopped calling himself one of Jesus' disciples. Why? Because he was so ashamed at what he had done. He didn't think he was worthy to be called a disciple of Jesus anymore. If you've ever done anything before where you felt like, wow, I'm not even worthy to call myself a follower of Jesus anymore. Can't believe that I did that. I'm misrepresenting him so horribly. I've been there before myself. And so what does Jesus do? Well, Peter and some of the disciples go back to work as fishermen. And they're fishing. They're not catching anything. Then a man walks up to them. Well, a man walks up on the beach. They're out in the water. And he yells, hey, uh, cast your nets on this side and you'll get some fish. And so they do it begrudgingly. They cast their nets out. They get 157 fish is what it says in the text. And scholars have wondered to this day, what does 157 mean? It has to mean something. I don't think it means anything. So they realized though at that moment that it was Jesus. And Peter, he sees that it's Jesus. He was naked. So he quick throws on some clothes and he dives into the water to swim towards the shore The text says the rest of them stayed in the boat and went to the shore. And I can't prove this, but I like to believe that the boat actually got there before Peter got there. But Peter, he wasn't going to stay in the boat. He was going to be diving in because that's just who he was. Totally passionate um, and unabandoned. And so they get to the beach and Jesus at this point has made a fire. He's cooked some food. They eat breakfast together. There's no mention that they were talking. So in my mind, I imagine them sitting there. It's kind of awkward. There's kind of an elephant in the room because it wasn't just Peter that abandoned him. All of them deserted when he was arrested. None of them stood there and fought for him. And so they're all sitting there. They are eating. It's quiet. And then Jesus looks over to Peter and he's like, hey, Peter, let's go on a walk. So let's pick up there. John 21, verses 15 through 17. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus knows he needs to deal with Peter's shame. Because he has big plans for Peter. But this shame that Peter is experiencing could take him out for good. And so the first thing that Jesus does is that he is the one who reaches out to Peter. The disciples and Peter didn't go find Jesus on the beach. Jesus came to the beach and found them. And what's really important to understand is that when Peter saw Jesus, he could have done the natural thing that we do when we feel shame, which is hide. He could have hid down in the boat and not come out to Jesus. But what did he do? He dove into the water 
and swam as fast as he could towards Jesus. When we are experiencing shame, sometimes the last thing we want to do is go to Jesus, but it is the only thing that we can do. It's the only thing that's actually going to address our shame in that moment. And so Peter got it right this time. He didn't hide. Second thing I noticed is that Jesus doesn't focus on Peter's sin when he's talking to him. In the passage I just read you, he focuses on their relationship. God does not want to beat you up for the mistakes you've made. He doesn't want to rub your face in it. He doesn't want to make you relive it. Now, I do want to say he's not going to downplay the severity of it. When we are comforting people who've messed up, sometimes the human thing to do can be like, oh, don't worry about it. It wasn't that big of a deal. Anybody would have done the same thing. No one's holding it against you. Isn't that what we do as human beings? We try to downplay the severity of what happened. Jesus doesn't do that at all. What happened was, um, was what it was. Peter denied Jesus. But he's not beating Peter up for what he had done. He's focusing on their relationship because God wants connection with you more than he wants you to perform well. Let me say that again. God wants connection with you more than he wants you to do good things and not do bad things. And when you really understand this, you understand that it's actually in connection with Jesus that we can not do bad things and do good things. When we try to not do bad things and we try to really do good things outside of connection with Jesus, we usually just slam ourselves into a wall and we fall deeper than we had fallen before. So Jesus is focused on the relationship. Third thing, Jesus actually calls out Peter's destiny while addressing his shame. Did you catch that? When Jesus was addressing Peter's shame, he said to him, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, I do love you. And then he said, shepherd my sheep. And he said, tend my lambs. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the call on Peter's life to be a leader. He's talking about Peter's call to be a pastor. And so in the midst of Peter's shame, when he is feeling like he's not worthy of being called a disciple, Jesus is telling him, guess what? You're not only going to be my disciple, you are going to lead my disciples. And so Jesus calls out Peter's destiny in the midst of his shame. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if there's shame that you are experiencing, but I want you to know God is not focused on what you did wrong. He wants to restore you from that because he's focused on the amazing things that he has for you to do. Jesus calls out Peter's destiny. Jesus also, he puts Peter through a process. It's not just a one and done thing. He asks him three times. He starts off, and this is an interesting fact that someone was telling me before I came up here. He actually starts off by doing the same miracle, bringing the 157 fish into the boat that he did when he first called Peter. So when he first called Peter, he did the same thing. said, hey, cast over here. They caught a ton of fish. Now Peter's not thinking he's a disciple. Jesus comes back with that exact same miracle. So Jesus is putting Peter through a process. He starts with the fish. 
Then they're on the beach and they're kind of in the awkward silence. Then he takes him aside. He asks him three times. And so God is, might put you through a process in overcoming your shame, but it's not because there God needs to forget, needs you to go through a process so that he can forgive you. Usually, actually, no, let me revise that. Always, when God puts us through a process to help us overcome our shame, it's because we can't forgive ourselves. It's because we can't let ourselves off the hook. Now, forgiving yourself doesn't mean not feeling bad for what you did. If we ever try to get to a place, okay, I want to be free from shame. So what that means is whenever I do something bad, I'm just going to make sure I don't feel bad about it. That is not what it means to be free from shame. What it means to be free from shame is to be like, wow, I did something done, dumb, but thank you, Jesus, that when you died, you made it so that this thing would never affect who I am ever again. <clears throat> so, so Jesus puts Peter through a process. He asks him three times, do you love me? Why do you think he did that? Because Peter had denied Jesus three times. I also think it's interesting that when Peter denied Jesus, he was by a fire warming himself. And then Jesus made a fire on the beach. And I think just the, the sound of the fire, the smells, it probably took Peter right back to that moment. So next thing, Jesus corrects Peter's way of thinking. When you're in shame, God's not going to beat you up for what you did, but he certainly is going to correct the bad way of thinking that you had that got you into that place in the first place. I love the, the saying that goes, God loves you so much that he accepts you just as you are and refuses to let you stay that way. And so Jesus, he takes a second to correct Peter's way of thinking. If we were to go back and look at the passage where Peter reject, or denied knowing Jesus, what we'd find is that, or sorry, if we go back to the passage where Peter said to Jesus, I will never forsake you. He doesn't just say, Jesus, I will never forsake you. He says, even if all of these forsake you, I will never forsake you. What's he doing? He was putting himself on another level. He was calling himself out as superior. Pride was his sin in that moment. And so what does Jesus do? He starts off saying to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You see what he's doing there? He's saying, hey, you said that you would never forsake me even if all of these did. So now he's asking him, do you really love me more than these? And Peter answers correctly when he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He doesn't say, yes, you know that I love you more than all of them. He's learned his lesson there. He says, I just, he just says, you know, I don't care about all of them. Lord, I love you. So Jesus is correcting part of Peter's way of thinking in this. And then lastly, let's finish the story and then pull out the sixth way that Jesus deals with Peter's shame. After that happens, Jesus says this to Peter. Truly, this is verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying what kind of death 
he would glorify God. By what kind of death he glorified God. And when he had spoken this, this is, this is the key verse. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus returns his relationship with Peter to the simplicity of just follow me. Just follow me. And wherever you are right now, if you're experiencing shame for anything you've done, ultimately, what God is saying to you is just follow me. The trap the enemy tries to put us in is we sin, we feel guilt, we morph, it morphs into shame. And then because of our shame, we don't want to approach God because we think I need to get things right on my own. I need to clean things up before I go to him. When in reality, going to him is the only way that we can clean things up. But when we do that, we usually try again And because we didn't go to him, we have even less of a chance of succeeding. And so we fail again and we feel even more shame. And so we feel even less inclined to go to God. And then we do even worse the next time. And it's just a downward spiral. But the message that God is saying to you when you mess up isn't clean yourself up. He's saying to you, follow me. Don't hide anymore. Come to me. I'm not going to beat you up for what you did. I'm going to help you get freedom. He returns the relationship to simplicity. Last thing. One of the ways that Jesus dealt with Peter's shame that we just talked about was he corrected Peter's way of thinking. And... um, what he was doing there was he was healing a portion of Peter's mind. And when we experience shame, God wants to heal our minds so that we don't fall into it again. And another way of saying that is renew our minds. And so a verse that a verse in James that talks about this kind of healing that is especially applicable for when we're dealing with shame. um, It's verse five, 16 And I want to read it because I think it reveals one of the best practical things we can do to step out of shame. So James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When we confess our sins to another believer... There is a measure of healing that comes that we could not step into in just confessing our sins to God alone. Now, when we were saved, we were forgiven for our sins for all time. And so confessing to God and confessing to other believers isn't asking God to forgive us. We're already forgiven. Confession is simply agreeing with God that what we did was sin. And so when we confess to other believers, what we're doing is we're ensuring that we don't have any secret sins in our life. Because I'll tell you guys, secret sins are the things that will eat us alive. Do you have a go-to person? Do you have somebody that you can go to, to confess when you mess up? Because when you do that and you let them pray for you, there's a healing that will come that will help 
that will be a big part of God's plan of removing you from that shame. So have a go-to person. Last thing I want to say, and I want to reiterate something that Wilson said, is that it is human to experience shame. And everybody experiences it. All of the Christian teachers and leaders you might admire, they're not exempt from it either. The worst thing we can do is realize that, we're, that we are experiencing shame and then experience shame because we're still experiencing shame because we should be a good enough Christian by now that we're not going to experience shame like we're experiencing it. Or we should be like that teacher or that leader or that person who never seems to deal with shame. Everybody deals with shame. And beating yourself up for feeling ashamed is a pretty sick trap of the enemy that we don't ever want to fall into. But Jesus has offered us freedom from shame from all time. And the key is just always going to him no matter what. So I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to receive the offering. If you are on the leftmost side of your row, if you wouldn't mind reaching down under your chair, picking up the basket and passing it across. We're going to move into worship in a moment. And during worship, I want to invite you. Feel free to come up to the front. I like to do that. It helps me focus and not be around a bunch of people. You might want to do that. You can also go to the back for worship, especially if you're going to be dancing or doing anything expressive like that, which we love and we encourage. Back has more room. It would be better for you to do it back there. But let's just go ahead and spend a little bit of time worshiping together. So thanks, everybody.